Who is the most surprising person of note to recently renounce American citizenship? 93.8% of this country's population is in one city's area. Name the city and the country. Well, that's interesting. Answers to those and other questions <laughs> coming up in this episode of The Off-Ramp with Bob and Marsha Smith. Welcome to The Off-Ramp. A chance to slow down, steer clear of crazy, take a side road to sanity, and get some perspective on life. Marcia, that was a very interesting question. Well, thank you, Bob. How was it? 98% of a... <laughs> 93.8% of this country's population is in one city's area. Name the city and the country. Is this country an island? Uh, yes. Is this country an island? Okay, is this Iceland? Yes. Reykjavik. Yeah. Reykjavik. Reykjavik. That's right. That's very good deduction there. I was thinking, is that country connected a, to anything else? It's but a it's, country and it's a... And it's an island. Yeah. I was trying to think of the world map and I thought, is there some little connection to land there? Well, but, you'd think they'd have to be if they're that close to one place. It's, yeah. it's either tiny, tiny, isolated coast, yeah. coastal country or it is an island. So. Yeah. 93.8% of this country's population... 217,000 people live in and around the city of Reykjavik. And uh, it's not a cheap place to live, Bob. It costs money to maintain a welfare state at the edge of a habitable world. For example, at the local pub, 84.4% of a bottle of beer is taxes. <laughs> and that's why a single brewski can set you back around $11. Holy cow, that is expensive. <laughs> yeah. That's well, a, you know, a lot of islands, you have to bring a lot of things in. You know, there's yeah. not a lot you can make in one place. Yeah. And, so. and, uh, and, and those taxes, they really lay it up on uh, alcohol. Well, that was a surprising question. Here's a surprising question. Okay, let me be the judge of that. <laughs> a recent Wall Street Journal headline was, More Americans Renounce Citizenship. And in that, I found this little gem. So tell me, who is the most surprising person of note? to recently renounce American citizenship. Can I have a little more specific? Okay. Like, is it entertainment world? It's political not an world? entertainer. Let's put it that is way. Is it political world? It is political. Uh, okay. I can assure you, you and probably almost everybody listening wouldn't guess this okay. for well, anything then, in the world. Then I'm not going to guess. The Prime Minister of Great Britain, Boris Johnson. He was an American until 2016. He had dual citizenship. I did not know that. The leader of Great Britain was born in America. He was born in New York City when his parents worked there in 1964, and he retained his American citizenship. They only oh. lived there a year, and then they oh. went back to oh. England. Oh, okay. But he was born here, so he was an American for 52 years yeah. until 2016. Why did he <sighs> renounce his citizenship? I don't know. Why? Because he sold his house in North London and found out he might owe the IRS oh, $50,000. Oh, that'll do it. <laughs> and that was like, that's it. There's no benefits to that. <laughs> Isn't that amazing? Yeah, he could use uh, maybe an American hairdresser. His hair is a little out of control. <laughs> I just think it's so hard to believe that the Prime Minister of England 
was until recently an American citizen. I wonder yeah. what the leaders of England in the American Revolution would have thought if you would have told them that a future oh, yeah. prime minister, mm-hmm. a future prime minister who is a distant relative of George II, would be born an American. Yeah, Crazy talk. It is crazy talk. Did you ever wonder, Bob, why lasagna noodles have crimped edges? No. <laughs> lasagna noodles have crimped edges. Yeah. No, I never thought about that. Yeah, well, think about it now. What okay, it's, it was a mistake in packaging. No. It's a machine that does that. It is, I imagine, but why do they do it? Think about it. Common sense here. <laughs> I, you know, I never even noticed they have crimped edges. I didn't. I don't even. I can't even picture what you're you talking about. You probably never even cooked a lasagna noodle in I your never entire did. life. I've eaten lasagna, but I've never <laughs> cooked it, and I've never looked at a lasagna All noodle right. before it's been cooked. Well, the answer is quite sensible, actually. It helps retain the sauce and the filling between layers while it's baking. Otherwise, uh, if you didn't have the crimps... You'd have flat noodles swimming in sauce and tasty filling. <laughs> There'd be nothing between the layers. I never thought of it that way. It would way. just all gush out. I never thought about it either. But it's like a little. It's like a little uh, cocoon for yeah, the, it is. for the cheese. Holds it the, all in. The meat, the sauce. Didn't even think about the that. The cheese, obviously. Okay. Well, that was good though. I bet you never thought of this. <laughs> Russia's October Revolution, that's 1917, that's when the Soviets came to power. Russia's October Revolution actually started in November. So why is it called the October Revolution? You know, I was just wondering that over coffee this I'll morning. I'll bet you were, yeah. Uh, is that the, uh, the well, Bolsheviks? Is yeah, that, that's yeah? the Bolsheviks. Ah, I don't know. Well, at the time, Russia was using the Julian calendar, which it marked the starting date as October 25th. But today's calendar, the October Revolution, really began November 7th. (laughs) Well, that's funny. Yeah. That's one of those... Uh, Funny accidents of history, yeah. Well, Bob, we often drive to Kohler, Wisconsin, right? Yeah. To eat or drink. There's several great restaurants up there, and it's a charming little town with just a nice little ride, especially during COVID. But anyway, there's a restaurant up there, one we haven't eaten at, the Blind Horse. Hmm. I think that's over at one of the big golf courses. Anyway, it is about to become this week the first restaurant in the country to do what? What is it about to become? Yep, the only restaurant in the country. The only restaurant in the country that, wow, I don't know. I know, I that's it. Serves food. Attention. They serve food. They serve, probably have been serving it inside and outside. Uh-huh. I, I don't know. They have. They're about to provide the safest indoor dining experience in the country. Patrons will be dining under 18 new FAR UVC 222 lights that will safely and continuously sanitize the air and nearby surfaces. Really? The general manager promises that it's safe for humans and kills any kind of virus or pathogen in the air. And studies have shown, amazing, it kills up to 99.9% of any virus in the air after 25 minutes. I'd be afraid to sit under that. (laughs) Yeah, well, it's perfectly safe, it says, for humans and kills almost 100% of any virus in the air. The light kills it. The light kills it. Yeah. Wow. This is a high-end restaurant, so this guy predicts uh, everybody will have this in the near future. But they're the first. That's pretty cool. All right. You spoke of the pandemic. During this COVID pandemic, What TV show has seen a 500% increase in audience participation? (laughs) 
<laughs> well, what is it that is that that millionaire show? Is it, don't people call it? No, there's some show that people call in and. Uh, oh, there's several of those with lifelines or used yeah, to be. Yeah, no, yeah. it's not that. This oh. is an older show than that, believe it or not. It is ABC's longest running entertainment show, and it's still on. Still on. Oh, oh, I bet it's something like America Has Talent or something. Something like that. Uh, uh, Dancing with the Stars. I'll tell you what it is. Yeah. It's America's Funniest Home Videos. Oh, they're getting everybody's home doing videos. <laughs> I didn't know they were still on the air. But Me either. Yeah, this comes from an item in the Short Report, a newsletter that our friend Stephen Short publishes. And he reported that America's Funniest Home Videos is now averaging around 6,500 video submissions per week. That's the number of videos it's receiving from Americans looking for that $10,000 weekly prize. <laughs> 6,500 videos a week. That's 500% more than usual. Mm. Not surprising since uh, more Americans are working from home. Yes, so send in your home videos. 10,000 extra doesn't hurt. Here's a statistic. How many videos do you think they've gone through in the past 30 years? How many video submissions, submissions. have they had to look at in 31 years on the air? They started in 1989. 250,000. Two million home videos. <laughs> They've had to watch two million home videos. That's more than I've subjected family and friends yes, to over I, the I think years. So, yes. It's never lost its time slot. It's still 7 p.m. Eastern time on ABC Sunday okay. night. It's now syndicated in 50 countries. They describe themselves as spreading American humor and clumsiness across the globe. <laughs> so. No. Last time I looked at it, it was a lot of cruelty. Yeah, know. that's not funny. I don't think that's funny. You always look at that and go, ooh, that would... Yeah. yeah. I wonder if the money they won paid for the hospital bill. You know, that's what I always think. Yeah, yeah. Okay, Bob, can you name two or three of the top five most performed operas in the world? Oh, my goodness. Dun, okay. Dun, dun, I don't dun, know. Dun, 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 dun. Don Giovanni? Nope. I just know some names. Yeah, I've only been to one opera in my life, and you took me there, Marcia. <laughs> well, somebody had. It to. was wonderful. La Boheme uh, is one. It's number four. Uh, let's see. What are the other ones? My can't think of any. Ah, uh, one out of five. Well, it's better than. <laughs> is that the one I took you to? <laughs> I think so. <laughs> Madame Butterfly. Ah, uh, that's six or seven. Okay, but that's but, two. No, that's not the top five. Oh, geez. Okay, topping the list is Verdi's La Traviata with 4,190 performances, separate performances. Think about that. Wow. Mozart's The Magic Flute is number two. Carmen, number three. And Puccini, my fave, rounds out four and five. That's La Boheme and Tosca. And I'm a big fan of Puccini, although he was always knocking women off in his productions. <laughs> kind of like Disney, huh? <laughs> well, the mother always died in the Disney yeah. cartoons. Oh, yeah. I personally saw Mimi die in La Boheme of tuberculosis like 40 times. Oh, well, you, because you worked at an operetta theater. <laughs> yeah, um. but it gets old. You know. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it gets old watching somebody die it's, over oh, and over. And her big aria. <laughs> anyway. Yes, that's uh, anyway. There's uh, there's your only opera question. And I should counter with the a rock and roll question, but I don't have one uh, right now. Oh yeah, so, okay. Uh, you, you know the most popular re-recorded uh, pop song? The most popular re-recorded pop song. The, the most re-recorded. Uh, so in other words, a cover by other people. Yeah. There was an original, probably yeah. yesterday by oh, the Beatles. That, that, you're right. You did get it. That makes up for a little bit of your opera. Deficiency. Well, thank you very much. <laughs> all right, I'll come back to you with a history question. Okay, then. all right. You know, uh, we all know that the potato originated where? 
Ireland? South America. Oh, that could have been my question for you. Where did the potato originate? Huh. Answer? Ireland? No, I told you the answer. South America. South America. <laughs> they were imported to Europe by the 1500s uh, with Spanish ships returned from Peru with their silver and all that. Yeah. But they were slow to catch on. Why were they banned in Burgundy at one point? Potatoes? Yeah. Tell me. Well, people thought they caused leprosy. <laughs> you know, there's all kinds of things that can happen. I believe happen, that. Right? Yeah. I still do. That's yeah. why I don't eat them. <laughs> okay. Well, uh, Francis Drake bought those first uh, potatoes to England from Colombia. That's where he got his. Okay. Okay, here's another. You know, we always hear of empires, a lot of empires in history, Roman Empire and so forth and so on. What was the largest contiguous empire of all time? The most territory connected. What was the largest contiguous empire of all time? Well, it's not the Roman Empire? No. Okay. Uh, I uh, thought it would be, too, because, you okay. know, it's spread across most yeah. of Europe and over to well, England. Oh, was it Chinese? Uh, the, mm, yes, sort of. Well, it's from that Qing area. Qing or the, some dynasty. Genghis Khan. Genghis Khan. He yeah. was a nasty sort, wasn't he? Actually, there's a, been a reassessment of him because he did uh, allow a lot of local control and, and uh, emphasized education. So, yeah, did there was he? bloodthirstiness. It's kind of like the Romans. There's good and there's bad. Well, Great he, engineers, <laughs> terrible people. <laughs> when <laughs> he right. wasn't killing them, he was giving them rights to do things. Genghis Khan united the Northeast Asian tribes and he formed an empire of 9.27 million square miles, all of it connected. And it reached its peak in 1270. Again, 9.27 million square miles. The British Empire was actually bigger at its height. It controlled 13.7 million square miles, Uh but they weren't contiguous lands. When was the British Empire at its height? when it had the most territory in the world. I'll bet it was the 1800s. It was 1920. Oh, okay. I had no idea that it was that late in history. I was going to say the late 1800s. 1920s, huh? That's later than I thought. Speaking of late, we're late for a break. We'll be back in just a moment with the off-ramp with Bob. And Marsha. Smith. Okay, Marsha, we're back with more trivia. What you got? Well, Ruth Bader Ginsburg recently died at the age of 87. But she wasn't the oldest active judge to serve in the U.S. It was Albert K. Alexander, the magistrate and probate judge of Clinton County, Missouri. He retired in 1965 at what age? Oh, dear. Just take a stab. So this is like a small place in Missouri. Okay, let's say the guy was 105 years old when he died. Wow. He was. He was four months shy of his 106th birthday. You're kidding. So you got it. (laughs) Wow. Excellent, Bob. Can you imagine being judged (laughs) by a magistrate sitting up there, and this guy's 105 years old? Oh, my God. That's horrible. Sir, sir, could you put your head up? (laughs) Term limits. I don't care what party you're in. That's too old to be in charge of anything. We are fans of term limits, and there's another reason why. Man, I can't believe that. (laughs) Okay, which African country named its capital after a U.S. president? Uh, Oh, Madagascar. (laughs) (laughs) Wrong. Said with bravado and confidence. Well, don't you remember President Madagascar? No, the country is not named after him. Its capital is named after him. Oh, okay, go ahead. What African country? Liberia. Oh. It was established in 1822 by the American Colonization Society, 
It was a home for freed American slaves. Oh, yeah. And they named it Liberia. That means liberty. And uh, the capital was Monrovia. Oh, after Monroe? After James, James Monroe. Monroe. He was the president at the time Liberia was founded in 1822. Well, who knew? Yeah. So that's Monrovia. Is that like Monroe City or something? Yeah, Monrovia. It's like Monrovia, California. California. One of your, your nephews lived in Monrovia. We used to visit there. We did. Okay, Bob, what's the world's most dangerous chemical element? Ooh, that's interesting. Ah, the most dangerous, I guess. By what standard has it judged that? Can you give me any? any? Well. No, can't. It's pretty lethal. One thirty millionth of an ounce inhaled or swallowed will do you in. The most poisonous of all the chemical elements would probably be plutonium. Mm, Of course. It's a sure bet you'll get cancer if you get anywhere near it or touch it. Plutonium has a radioactive half-life of 23,640 years. Wow. Hence, toxicity can be retained centuries. Oh. It just, doesn't that freak you? And that's what they use for nuclear nuclear power. Yeah. You're right. That's very unsettling. It is unsettling. And I'm just going to take my plutonium and put it away. (laughs) I, no I've, more playing with the plutonium, It's Bob. been sitting out on told the you, desk here. Told and... you, if I told you once, told you a hundred times. <laughs> okay, Marcia, another history question, of course. What was the shortest war in history? Uh, wh- the fighting began at 9 a.m. and it ended by 9.40. <laughs> That's my kind of war. <laughs> well, that would be if you use plutonium out of the box. That's right. Okay. That would All be right. the end. But everybody would die if yeah. that was the case. Okay, tell me. This is the Anglo-Zanzibar War. So ah. this is one of the English uh, colonial wars. The East African island state of Zanzibar fought back against the British Empire. The firing began at 9 a.m. on August 26, 1896. It ended at 9.40 a.m., making it the world's shortest war, a mere 38 minutes long. But tragically, 500 Zanzibar fighters were killed or wounded, and one British petty officer was severely injured, but he recovered in a hospital. So you can guess who won that war. Yeah. It was the British. Wow. Okay. So here, this is your kind of question. Travelers, anglers, outdoorsmen, or Boy Scouts seldom leave home without this device. And in 1978, NASA ordered 50 of them for use by astronauts. It's the Swiss Army knife. Oh, for God. Well, isn't it? I mean, <laughs> yes, yes. Isn't that kind yes. of the obvious answer, the well, Swiss Army knife? Not if you don't know it, it's not obvious. <laughs> oh, sorry. <laughs> You'd have to. But, but the, the, Well, maybe it was the Boy Scouts or anglers. I don't know. But why, Bob? Because that thing comes with a wide range of blades, mini tools like pliers, saws, scissors, tweezers. And a bottle opener, the most important of thing. Of course. And, uh, <laughs> a so. wine bottle opener. <laughs> and, a, and a... Corkscrew. And a, yeah, and a regular bottle opener, That's too. true. It's, it's got, got, got many things. Yeah. It, it's quite an interesting history on that. We'll have to examine that at and, some point. And the astronauts did indeed uh, take it up with them. And uh, I think it was on the space shuttle. It helped them uh, fix something that needed to... I'm sure it did. ...to then connect... With that and duct tape work very well. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> I'm sure you they, know? they Simplif- have duct tape in outer space, too. Sure. Simplify, simplify. Absolutely. Okay, Marcia, what do commercials currently running on television for Campbell's Soup, Pillsbury Cookie Dough, and Snuggle Fabric Softener have in common? I'll repeat that. <laughs> what do commercials currently running for Campbell's Soup, Pillsbury Cookie Dough, and Snuggle Fabric Softener have in common? The same agency? No. The, uh, then I don't know. 
the families in those commercials are the families of the ad people responsible for them. Oh, really? <laughs> yeah. Really? Yeah, yeah. You know, with COVID, it's it's difficult to shoot uh, scenes with actors in close proximity. So advertising professionals have had to cast non-professionals. Well, that's, of course, brilliant. Their families. Yeah. In national spots, and it's not been easy. Uh-huh. One photographer who used family members for spots says, they're the most available, but definitely not the most cooperative. I'll bet. <laughs> his, his kid, his daughter, 11-year-old, she was supposed to be have this uh, box of pasta, and she's supposed to be shaking it like in uh-huh. rhythm like it was a band, and she just sat there shaking it, you know. Right, and rolling her eyes. Probably rolling her oh, eyes. Okay. But, but like a typical kid, uh, months later when he was preparing for another shoot, she said, do they need a kid? Oh, that's funny. Yeah, that is typical. And uh, a producer of a spot for edible Pillsbury cookie dough had to bribe his kids with new toys to participate. But once they started consuming this edible cookie dough, he had to spread the filming out over three days. He said, I didn't want my kids to eat 45 cookies oh in a my row. God. I had to hold them back from devouring it. That's but funny. Well, didn't you and I uh, audition for one of we, those family We auditioned things? for a commercial. What was the product? It was uh, cellular, oh, consumer right. cellular, because we're a customer of consumer yeah. cellular. Well, you know, that kind of experience is new to a lot of families, but our kids grew up in front of cameras. Yeah, not, they did. Not just home videos, yeah. but uh, professional sets with directors and lighting people. and. Yeah. Location I, I threw him in everything I could. <laughs> and our friend John Barber, who was the media director for one of the National Lutheran Synods, put our whole family in videos. Sure. Re- remember, Ben had to learn to act by looking at a comb. <laughs> That's right, <laughs> at your pretend funeral. My pretend funeral. That was shot out in a cemetery, and there was a real uh, coffin there, and Ben was told to look at a... They put a hair comb on the coffin and said... Look at that comb, Ben, and feel sad. And he did, dressed in his little suit, and a tear came down his cheek. Yeah, it was a showstopper. It really was. And Chelsea starred in professionally produced videos at the age of six, so it's not surprising both of them are in media jobs these days. Yeah. Okay, riddle me this, Bob Mann. Three quickies, okay? Mm -hmm. Who was the first woman to appear on a U.S. postage stamp? Eleanor Roosevelt. Queen Isabella, 1893. Really? A, a foreign queen? Yeah, yeah. Queen Isabella and King Ferdinand, right? Yeah. They, yeah. they financed uh, Christopher Columbus's uh, journey. Yeah. Okay. First American woman was... Eleanor Roosevelt. Martha Washington. Oh, God, I can't get it right. 1902. <laughs> 1902. That makes sense. Yeah. Who was the first Native American to appear on a U.S. stamp? Eleanor Roosevelt. <laughs> oh, let's see. Who would that be? I bet it was... Um, Geronimo. Pocahontas. Oh, okay. 1907. Wow, I'm 0 for 3 there. I know. And you won't get this one either. Okay. And who was the first African American? I don't know. Frederick Douglass. Booker T. Washington. Okay. 1940. I so. just did terribly on well, those. Well, those were tough. I, I <laughs> didn't realize those went back so far. You know, I didn't realize, uh, you know, gosh, 1800s, and early that, 1900s. When was the oldest one you mentioned there? What, what? 1893, Queen Isabella. Wow. So go through those again quickly. Uh, Queen Isabella, 1893. Martha Washington, 1902. Uh, Pocahontas, 1907. And Booker T. Washington, 1940. All right, I've got another question, another war question, Marcia. Oh, yay. (laughs) Yeah, depressing. (laughs) What Civil War battle had the most casualties in a single day? Oh, that was in America? Yeah. What Civil War battle? American Civil War. Yeah, I I know. Is that, uh, what, is it Gettysburg? What was that? It's that battlefield out uh, on the coast there. It's on the east, that's right. Uh, We haven't, I haven't been there. You have. Mm-hmm. 
Actually, I, I don't know if I've been there. You know, I've been to Gettysburg, and that's what most people say. But that battle lasted three days. Yeah. This is the battle that lasted one day. And so it was? Antietam. Antietam in Maryland. Oh. 22,726 casualties in one day. That is so depressing. So that, uh, that was on September 17, 1862, the single bloodiest day of the Civil War. But Gettysburg uh, had 51,000 casualties over three days. More people killed, wounded, missing, and captured than the Revolutionary War, the War of 1812, and the Mexican War combined. Jeez. Oh, boy. Okay, one more question. In the Middle Ages, what type of execution was reserved almost exclusively for the aristocratic class because it was considered faster, more efficient, less The guillotine. Painful? That's right, decapitation. So that was the nice way to go instead of hanging or uh, yeah. bleeding you out on something? Okay. It was more swift, immediate, devoid of suffering. So it was saved for the wealthy and the ruling classes. Oh, yippee. Okay, well. <laughs> the lower classes had to go through the hangings and gruesome torture. Yeah, well. <laughs> And then the witches and the heretics, they were burned alive. Yeah, so they always, t- you know. Even, even unto death. It if you're well off, you could get by with being treated better. It should be reversed. Okay. <laughs> Torture I say that is not a rich person. Yes. Well, you would say that. You wouldn't say that if you were a rich That's person. That's correct. That is oh, correct. Dear. I'm going to, uh, got a couple. Fun things to wrap it up with. <laughs> election. Please, please. You know, election questions today and uh, next week I'll have some. How did a foot powder Win an election in Ecuador. (laughs) (laughs) I I can't imagine. How did a foot powder win an election in Ecuador? I I kid you not. And the answer is? In 1967, the foot powder Pulvapis ran a funny ad during the election that said, if you want hygiene, vote for Pulvapis. I don't know who the competition was, but the majority of voters chose the foot powder as a write-in vote. <laughs> and that's in Ecuador? Where yeah. was that? Yeah. Oh, that's hilarious. It, uh, it's a sad state of affair in Ecuador <laughs> in 1967. And uh, you want another uh, election question? Sure. Why did we vote on Tuesdays, Bob? Well, it's the second Tuesday in November. It's in the Constitution that way. But I don't know what the reason was for that day being chosen was. Same reason we have daylight saving time. Farmers. Oh, no kidding. Yeah. Farmers used to have to travel long distances to the nearest polling place. Sunday was out of the question and Wednesday was market day. So they had to be home for those things. So Tuesday was picked, and November because the harvest was over. Well, that all makes sense. It and does. you're right, it's related to the daylight savings time and thing. And the farmer's needs. Huh. Okay. It takes a while to get to the polling place. It always did seem weird that they chose, it's going to be on a Tuesday. Tuesday in November. Yeah, yeah. second Tuesday in yeah, November. the harvest is over, and it's not market day. Okay. I'm going to close out with two laughter quotes. Okay. Okay. And here's an anonymous quote. It says, blessed are those who can laugh at themselves for they shall never cease to be amused. Oh, that's right. Well, that's me. <laughs> if you have enough foibles, you're always laughing yeah. <laughs> at something you do. And my dear Ben Franklin, he said, I like this for these times, trouble knocked at the door, but hearing laughter hurried away. Oh, <laughs> that is great. Well, we hope that the trouble is hurrying away from you, and we hope you've enjoyed listening to us as we prattle on with some interesting facts and trivia. I'm Bob. I'm Marsha. We're the Smiths. Join us again (laughs) next time. On the off-ramp. The Off-Ramp is produced in association with CPL Radio and the Cedarbrook Public Library, Cedarbrook, Wisconsin.